Okay, welcome. David and I are speaking remotely once again for a slightly different reason this time. Um, I've been sick this week with a, a disease that's been making headlines. Um, so I thought I would just... disease that shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, naming it makes your whole discussion about that. And, and I actually is sort of going to be about the experience of being sick, but I don't really want to talk about, you know, anything that's got any political... Uh, any disease that has political connotations to it. Um, I'm doing fine, by the way. I mean, I, I, it, I've been tired. I've been worn out. I'm getting better. Um, I, I've been aching a lot. But, um, but what I wanted to mention is something that's that's not unique to this illness, um, but is you know pretty common. Anytime you get an illness, you're you're you develop a fever in order to fight it off and when you're trying to sleep and you got a fever then the results are just crazy um, so you have fever dreams and um, dreams when you have these fever dreams they're things that like uh, they they make a lot less sense than normal dreams do and normal dreams can be pretty weird sometimes um, but the reason that I that I thought this would be interesting to discuss is because we've been talking about revelation um, in our last couple discussions. And when we're talking about revelation, then we're saying that um, John had some sort of vision, some sort of experience. Um, whatever it was, his descriptions, like, it, it's, it's not quite right to take, to take a description of... Um, heaven, for example, as being a literal description of heaven, um, where he's talking about like all the different uh, like precious stones that things are made of, and and the size of of New Jerusalem um, and all these things. Yeah, I, I wanted to interject there real quick that um, because this this is kind of an important. The, you want you wanted to, New Jerusalem? Is that what you wanted to say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, that is New Jerusalem and not heaven. Yeah, like, right. And that's not really the topic of this conversation, but like. It is kind of important to point out that, like, the goal of Revelations and the goal of Christianity isn't, uh, like, a disembodied heavenly existence, but is actually the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. And, like, the restoration of paradise. Um, yeah, sorry, I, d I did say heaven, which we use Revelation uh, as part of that discussion frequently, but I, I switched it up, um, so I kind of caught what I was doing, but that's fine to... Uh, to make that clear. Um, anyways, uh, so we, we shouldn't take this these descriptions as being some type of literal description because John has an experience that, um, that can't be put into words. And if you say something like that, then it's sort of easy to write it off and say like, how could you have an experience that can't be put into words? That doesn't even make sense. Um, why couldn't, if he saw this stuff, why couldn't he just write down what he saw? Well, okay, like, before you even get into the topic of fever dreams, which is taking that, like, dealing with that idea overtly, like, immediately what comes to mind for me for that, like, that question, how can you describe something, like, how can you make this claim? It's like, well, describe describe a mountain that you saw one time for me. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or uh, some great cathedral or something like that. Like, describe it to me. It's like, you can't. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, you or can describe your experience of it is more accurate. Like yeah, you can, describe, you can describe the physical mountain, or you can describe the 
Well, I was going to say, on, on those things, you do have the advantage of, of like, you, you can give a physical description of those things. Um, no, I mean, if you're particularly poetic, then you can give a, an emotional description of them, too. But... Um, <laughs> but it'll wind up maybe reading sort of like Revelations does. Um, like, like in a sense, in a sense, the more that you capture um, the experience of it, the less you capture the, um, uh, like the material reality of it. Um, anyways, so I said that, well, and, and I mean, you could say the same thing of like, you know, how could you, how could you ever describe uh, being in love with somebody or something like that? Like, I mean, you could raise those same, same sort of uh, objections and say, well, if you're dealing with an emotional state, then how can you put that into words? But, um, but so these, these fever dreams struck me uh, for this very reason, because when, when I would like try to sleep, and I can't, and I'm just like thrashing all night long and um, sleep for like five minutes at a time and then, then wake up and, and I'm sweating and uh, I'm, I'm having these dreams all the time. And usually, usually all night long it's the same thing. And uh, like on a different night it would be a different thing, but it's like, but during the course of a single night, um, I have this same thing that happens over and over again. And, and the experience is, is uh, it's just not possible to ex- to describe. Um, it's like um, I, I guess I'll go ahead and use the word realities. I don't think that's a great um, term for a fever dream, but like um, like it's in, it's experiencing a reality that just um, just doesn't exist in the same world that our words exist in. So I could attempt to describe one of these dreams by saying that um, I was trying to sort machines together and they were different colors and if I just if I just focused on one color and just didn't even worry about the other ones then everything was okay but if I started putting different colors in and worrying about different colors then then soon like everything would just go crazy um, and then then I'm thrashing all night and I wake up in a sweat um, so that's sort of the way that I, I t- tried to describe this dream to my wife but but, but it doesn't the, like convey they, they weren't, the actual experience at all. No, because because the, whatever I was doing was like they were more colors than machines. Right. But somehow well, it's I, like whatever whatever description you can you come up with. It's like when you describe it, it all sounds so mundane and ordinary. And it's just right, like, oh, you had right, a dream where you're right. sitting there sorting out machines. That's yeah, boring. Right. But but, it's like, no, like this was something that was like really urgent and disturbing. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, machines just, uh, there's just not a better word to, to try to capture the thing. I mean, like, in a way, um, uh, in my experience of fever dreams, I guess I can't speak universally, but um, some of the, the strangeness of them is that they don't deal in real things. Uh, and your normal dreams do, even though they're like bizarre, fantastical things. There are still things in your dream, <laughs> but um, but but for me, like whatever whatever I was working with, like the idea of a thing barely even described it. Like I said, they they were more like colors than machines. Um, and and then when I say I was trying to sort them, then 
again, even even the concept of sorting, um, it's like it's like a specific action, and I was trying. I had some mission to do with these things. Right. Um, but again, to to say that I was trying to sort them, um, it's like that's just the best that I can do. That's the best way that I can describe it, and and that's not exactly what was going on. Um, but so that was one example, and I won't go through the others, at least not right now. Maybe I will, but but I don't know that it's necessary. Um, but again, I think most people can relate. You can look back at some some point where uh, maybe it was when you had a fever and you had this crazy dream. Or maybe, like like you mentioned, there was something that you were working on in your dream, and it was so important and so urgent. And then you woke up, and it's like this made no sense whatsoever. Like <laughs> this thing, this thing just doesn't even have a connection to <laughs> to what the world is like. Um, and so, so I mention it just because right there, like I had this. Um, uh, I I don't want to call it important. Um, I think some dreams are important, and I, I don't think that these fever dreams are important. Um, and maybe I'm wrong about that. But um, but it was something that was um, that affected me in a very deep way, or at least it seemed to. I mean, maybe it's just the, only the fever was affecting me, but I sure seemed like I, I was emotionally responding to stresses of the dream, um, if that makes sense. And then yeah, and, no, like. Uh, You've been talking for a while, so I'm interrupt. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, no, like, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, the whole time, thinking through, like, my own similar experiences with fever dreams, um, and it's like, through, through, like, I don't know, I, I should have put this together a little better before I interrupted you, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, like, through through like difficult times and being sick during those times it's like there's something that comes out there's something that comes out like you realize if you pay attention to your fever dreams like there's something that's really disturbing but it's something that's like cutting cutting at the core like it seems to me anyway that oftentimes it's something that's cutting at the core of your own experience or your own life or whatever's going on with you at that time like it doesn't make sense if you're looking at it in the material sense like using your example like uh, well what is sorting out machines or sorting out colors like that doesn't have anything to do with your your personal experience at all um but like there's like a symbolic meaning mm -hmm. underlying it yeah i mean it and maybe that's true like some some dreams have so much like clear-cut mythic symbolism like what you see in a story um right and, but they're and, not narrative like i don't I, at least in my experience oh i've not, i've had like, some i've had some uh like uh what i what i look as being very significant dreams um right and i don't i don't mean dreams that i analyze and that they meant a lot to me but like um but i mean like like dreams that um like i woke up crying because of because of the way that this yeah. dream affected me um and and they were very narrative um but uh but yeah i mean a lot of dreams are not um actually a lot of things that we say are narrative are not narrative um a lot right. of a lot of songs uh <laughs> there are a lot of songs that we think are narrative that aren't really narrative um but yeah a lot of dreams too 
No, I just I just mentioned that because there's oh uh, Jonathan Pajot has so much discussion about narrative, um, which I. I I don't want to dig into right now, but I think at some point, like, um, I, I want to kick at this question of like, um, is is narrative, you know? And, and he and Jordan Peterson both had this idea that like narrative is how we how we understand the world and understand our own lives and our place in it. Um, and, and it seems like there has to be some truth in that, but 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 so many things that are are meaningful are similar to narrative, but are actually something else. Yeah. Um, so, so it makes me wonder if, like, um, if it's actually narrative, or if there's something that's that's maybe even a, a little simpler that would be better to think of. But I'm not. Yeah, I'm like not I, I guess like what I meant when I said like they're not narrative. Like they're not narrative in the sense like you could take them out. You could take them and write a book. Mm-hmm. You can take your experience and write a book based on the story of your dreams. Like, no, like, in my experience, like, they don't flow in this sort of chronological order. They don't, uh, like, they don't have this this kind of sequence of events, mm-hmm. uh, this, this progression of story. It's like, well, like, the whole, like, to use, like, your, your more simplistic form of narrative, it's like the whole narrative is there all at once. Yeah, right. And like that's something like I often have like maybe this is maybe this is strange for me, but like I I often have a hard time sorting out a dream. I don't have dreams very often. Usually, just when I'm sick, actually. Yeah. Right. Um, or if like I take a nap in the middle of the afternoon or something like that, then maybe I'll have some dreams because like you're barely asleep. Yeah. Right. Um. But uh, it's like I have a hard time sorting out like. Okay, so what are the order that things actually happened in in the dream? Because they didn't happen in any order. It's just they're there. Yeah. Um, and then, like, in your attempt to recall them to memory, you kind of have to put them in in some kind of order because that's your experience of the conscious world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would say like um, I I understand what you're saying. I I wouldn't say that's my experience of dreams. Um, <laughs> Like I said, I, I, my dreams, I think, tend to be very narrative. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like have, have a flow of events. Um, and, and like I say, the dreams that are the most memorable to me, um, they, well, they tend to be very narrative, uh, like, yeah, so like more if, so than the average dream. If I can identify a flow of events in, in dreams that I have, like, it's usually, like something that is completely disjointed like like the uh the world that's been established the rules that have been established in the first part of the dream break down and now something else is going on Mm -hmm. so it's like sometimes i'll have these dreams i know this is kind of wondering a little bit i guess but i guess it's still relevant like i'll have these dreams that are uh oh like there's this world established in the dream like this dream world and there's this some sort of sequence of events within you you get to this to the next step and it's like oh like you're in a completely different world now <laughs> like the thing that was supposed to happen um like it turns out now something else is happening mm-hmm. and this thing that you have that was one thing is now actually something completely different and unrelated <laughs> yeah yeah 
Um, well, what, what you say about like you having to put uh, chronology onto things is also sort of interesting because say like you have um, you have a visionary experience of, of the New Jerusalem. I mean, like you you may be even describing a vision that doesn't have a flow of events. Right. Um, and like. Well, yeah, and like that kind of actually is my. I guess my sort of understanding of Revelations is when I look at it, it's like, well, this isn't actually a flow of events. Mm -hmm. This is um, a meaning unfolding. Like, I guess you could say a pattern. Yeah. I like patterns, so that's how I would say it. It's like, so, like, I was having this, dis this discussion earlier, like, again, on the idea of the mark of the beast, um, and, you know, like, what's it mean? And there's other things, like later on in Revelations, this is kind of important to point out, I guess, also in light of our other conversations, so people don't think that, like people might read things that are said later in Revelations about the Mark of the Beast, like where it appears that everybody that has the Mark of the Beast is going to hell now. Um, it's like, well, I don't see this as a, like a progression where the beast has come forward into the world and done these things enough people have submitted themselves to him and done this and that and so on and so forth and so now they're going to hell it's like no like I, I see this as something that's all taking place all at once mm -hmm. and so like it, it creates I guess in my mind a system where things that would be contradictory are not yeah um yeah Which, so uh, like, goes, goes back to that sort of dream language where the rules of the dream the rules of fever dreams and the rules of uh, dreams in general like so often will flip and um like not not seem to follow any sort of rational pattern but it's like you understand when you're in the dream that there's no contradiction, even though rationally there is. Mm -hmm. Which is something that's always fascinated me. It's like there's in in, in the, like the most material sense, there's like there's no rules here, but yet like there's obviously rules. Yeah. I will. I'm, I don't know if this is going to be very theological or not, but I'm just going to like quickly rattle off um, two of these other dreams. And so this was, again, like I said, one night I get this same dream over and over again, and then the next night it's this other dream. So one night um, I just had to like color all these dots that just seemed like they were in the air. And then once they were colored, then I could push them down and then I could lay on them and go to sleep. Um, and and I, I at, for a while I was frustrated that I had to do these two steps and I couldn't just push it over and go to sleep, even though like, I'm talking about dots in the air. So uh, why should I be able to push those over and go to sleep on them? But uh, um, but anyway. I was frustrated that it took two steps, but then I realized that 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 was the the way that the heart beats, and and once once I figured that out, then it's like okay, I can deal with this. This is actually pretty easy, and and that was that was a pretty decent night's sleep, 
and then the next dream I'm not even going to try to describe but it, it, it seemed like I had to, to like tear my blankets in half or something and I and there but again that wasn't exactly it um, but uh, but I'll just spare trying to go into detail because I just really can't describe this one um, but uh, but whatever I just I couldn't do it and I, I had I had that was my worst night of sleep and it was when I had this dream task that I just I could not accomplish not even a little bit not even some of the time <laughs> But I don't know. Sorry, that was a distraction. But um, uh, but yeah, it was interesting to me. Like I said, I think the dream is actually affecting me. I don't think yeah. it's just the fever. And and then I find like this one dream that I was kind of able to solve the problem and just do it over and over again all night long. <laughs> and and I I did okay that night. And then the next night I had this unsolvable problem and it was a terrible night. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, I don't know what to think of that, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, like, I guess, like... Yeah, and that's also, I mean, like, me, I, I, I say quote-unquote figuring out that that was, that was the way that the heart beats. Um, that's, that's like, a, almost a nonsensical interpretation. <laughs> right. Um... But but it, it seemed like like that was absolutely right, um, and like the fact that it that it, it was or seemed to be absolutely right made it a lot easier for me to sleep that night. Um, whereas whereas my my other ones were like they were also really abstract, but they were like so abstract I I I couldn't I couldn't make um, I couldn't figure out like this is the heartbeat or whatever. <laughs> I, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't figure out that that bizarre symbolic meaning um, and then just uh, have peace with it um, yeah I guess like reining this conversation <laughs> no, I, no I, I I think that's an interesting point to make because when when I made that comment about like about it being like the heartbeat it's like it sounds like um, I don't know. You 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 wind up every now and then. You run across some um, some interpretation of something out of scripture, and maybe it's something that comes from a church father or something like that, like some interpretation of a symbol. And and you yeah, think like, just like way out there. Yeah, you think like this is totally nuts. There's no way that it could be that. And um, I mean, like, actually, maybe there is a way that it could be that. Um, right. And and maybe the reason that this person said it was that is because. Um, like they perceived it. Um, yeah, I was like, I, I shared something with you uh, a couple weeks ago. I don't remember, maybe it was just last week, from from Maximus the Confessor, talking about uh, symbols in Exodus. And he makes this statement. He's talking about because, like, what he's actually talking about, like the context of the, of the statement, he's talking about like uh, being stewards of your thoughts and and like meditating and praying and, and all these kinds of ideas and he makes this statement out of exodus talking about the israelites how how was it he said it that cattle represent the virtues and that's why jacob tells his sons when he sends them to egypt to tell them like not to tell them that they're shepherds but to tell them that they deal with cattle 
because it's like what he's telling them is to say you're virtuous people and then, and then he also says like shepherds are uh, like sheep represent uh, like thoughts pastured on the mountain of contemplation so like basically meditation mm-hmm. um, and then and like yeah first you read that and it's like Maximus you're insane <laughs> like what yeah right but it's like you, it, and like and then ties to that with the, the statement it's like and that's why the egyptians uh well that's why every shepherd is an abomination to the egyptians which are the the demonic powers mm-hmm. it's like what are you talking about <laughs> like this yeah, is such right. a wild inter- interpretation of this passage that like it's a passage it's a part of the narrative like if you're looking at it in the narrative sense that like seems totally insignificant mm-hmm. it's like okay so jacob like the egyptians just don't like shepherds for whatever reason and jacob knows that so he says tell him you work with cattle it's like okay mm-hmm. that's right. kind of weird but i guess yeah but it's like no like here's this this like like, like you're, what you're saying is like he has this intuition it's like no this is what it means because there's nothing in the story that's insignificant and it's like the same thing with your dream like i think that's also true of a dream like this there's no detail in a dream that's not packed with meaning mm-hmm. right yeah well <laughs> like um of course there are so many so many different views of dreams um and um <sighs> I mean, I, I, I definitely don't subscribe to this, like, I, idea that you're just, like, you're just firing off, like, um, like random synapses and, like, you're, you're taking one part of a memory from the day and sticking it together with another memory from the day, like, just totally arbitrarily. Um, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to go with that. Um, there's something in, in spite of what I've said so far about like w- ways that I was able to identify the meaning in one of these dreams. Um, and like that meaning is something that I figured out while dreaming the heartbeat thing. It's like, I, I didn't wake up and come up with a solution. Um, but, uh, um, Oh, sorry. I'm losing my, uh, my train of thought. I'm sick. So I have an excuse. Um, there's, there's still, um, <laughs> There's still, there's still something about about the fever dream that seems like, um, like, surely this is just madness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but part of it is like it, it is, it is so irrational. Um, I mean, I was talking about like these again. These things are more colors than machines. Um, well, it's like, like you, you say, there's something about the fever dream that's just like surely this is just madness. And my immediate thought is like, have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like that just kind of seems like a like a massive fever dream. Yeah, right. Like to the extent where some people try to claim it was like a drug-induced. <laughs> hypnotic vision or something mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i well we can come back around to that idea but uh um the, even even this idea of it being madness i mean partly like partly that means just that it defies reason so thoroughly um and and an ordinary dream um again for me um still has like actual things and people in it um and and so even though the dream is is uh 
we'll say like that's when you're really dipping into your irrational subconscious mind um there's still there's still categories that make sense um but in, in this in these like these fever dreams are just like the most extreme um the, the farthest from the rational mind like the most irrational ever and that means like you don't even have you don't even have um things that can be put in categories anymore you just have like well color is the best way to describe this thing but machine is also i guess i'll go with that um yeah no like i had like it's interesting too because like there there often are people and like people in dreams that are real people mm -hmm. like, in your life um like i don't want to get too far into dream interpretation obviously because that's not actually our, our point yeah but well i think like, you know we've mentioned it a little bit and um it it is interesting. I mean, the only reason I want to talk about it at all, about dreams at all, is because because I think it sheds a light onto things like prophecy um, and like uh, religious experience. Um, I, I don't think that uh, a dream and, and a religious experience are the same thing. Um, well, although a dream can be a religious experience, but um, but I think there's a, a great similarity, even when they're even when it's a different sort of religious experience. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, I'm I'm one who kind of thinks tends to think that all all experiences are, are religious experiences. Yeah. Um, well, even even if I wouldn't agree with it, then then I might expand and say like, well, okay, all dreams are religious experiences, <laughs> um, yeah. and I don't know. I guess all other experiences, like maybe it's just a matter of uh, uh, like if you actually engage in the experience or not. Yeah, right. Or like are are paying attention. Yeah, right. Um. Now, I don't know, that sounds like a like a, a Jonathan Pajot influence statement when you say if you're paying attention. Uh, no, that's, that's just kind of, that's actually kind of been my view for quite a long time. Yeah. That, like, everything in life has significance, mm -hmm. but you just generally aren't paying any attention. Yeah, right. Well, like I just... Everything, I, like you could say, like, everything that you do or everything that you encounter has some kind of spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned that just because of, of this um, notion that um, that to worship something is basically is just to pay attention to it. Right. And so then you say um, anything that you anything that you pay attention to is a religious experience. Okay, so um, I guess we uh, we got off the track again, but I think it was your fault this time, even though you're really healthy. Well, at least physically, I'm really healthy. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, I, yeah, you had just you had said a while ago that you didn't want to get too much into dream interpretation, um, and I'm not sure where you were going with that idea, but. Uh, well, I, I, was, I was actually about to bring something up, and then I, I, I 
second guess myself and thought, you know, I better not go there because it's getting getting too far into the world of dream interpretation. Yeah. I'm taking it this conversation in the wrong direction. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think I sort of made the point uh, pretty clearly, but uh, again, I just wanted to to hammer this and make sure that I capped off that discussion with fever dreams by going back to the the idea at the start, which is that um, that everybody has had experiences that are impossible to describe in words. And you can try, and a lot of times you're compelled to try. You w you wake up from that fever dream, and and like it's there's something so fascinating about it that you want to tell people. Um, and maybe there's a there maybe there is a meaning in there that like um, you feel like like maybe it could be cracked, and so you talk about it as a way of exploring it. I don't I don't know, but for whatever reason, you want to talk about it, and then when you try, you realize like well. Okay, that that isn't exactly what I saw. That isn't exactly what I was trying to do. But that's just the best that I can do. But that kind of gives you the right the right idea, anyways. That kind of gives you a sense of what the experience was like. Um, okay, so now you'd also mentioned um, um, Ezekiel and. Uh, people saying this is this is like a, a drug trip or something um, now I'm I'm really not that interested in in a lot of uh, uh, the theories that people have linking um, religion uh, now I should be careful about this um, uh, well specifically linking Christianity and Judaism with with uh, um, you know different types of drug experiences um, there, there definitely is a lot of connection with uh, religious experience and drug use um, in, in other traditions. But I don't know. I mean, like, everybody, for some reason, like, um, they're, they're always pushing these things, like, like reading them in the Bible. Um, I just don't know why the Bible would, would be trying to hide all this stuff. Um, right. <laughs> like, other religions aren't trying to hide that. <laughs> Um, like I'll, just, but, I'll just say like it's because it's because our our age is dominated by a cheap spirituality yeah right and like well like common christian spirituality is obviously not the sort of spirituality that the people who wrote the bible had mm -hmm. yeah um, people that are are involved in drugs in certain drugs i should say um have like some kind of mystical spiritual experience Right. Um, but then, like, also, like, there's, like, a complete uh, lack of, I don't, I don't want to say it. Um, like, people can't understand that there's such a thing as spiritual reality. And so they, they have to come up with some kind of material explanation for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, part of part of what bugs me really about it in terms of like a, a theory of religion is the fact that um, that many, many people have been adherents to these religions and passed them down for for thousands of years um, with without doing drugs. 
Um, and so like if if this is all about drug use then why why can't it thrive with zero drug use <laughs> like yeah, that right. that just not only zero drug use but like active teaching against drug use <laughs> yeah right um, and and so uh, again i'm not i'm not dismissive of the idea that a person can have uh, like a narcotically induced religious experience um, and and again that does exist in religious traditions all over the world that um, that don't lie about it like apparently the Bible is doing um, yeah well, so it's like it's interesting to look at the way like ancient people would have looked at that it's like yeah like you can have a a legitimate religious experience through the use of narcotics but, mm-hmm. it's, but it's demonic um, um which would be very, very similar to what Jordan Peterson has to say on the subject, only not using religious language, using more, uh, I guess you would say, like, philosophical language, that it's, 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 a, it's, it's an experience that you haven't earned. Yeah, is, right. This is, this is the idea that, uh, like, the Church Fathers have and early Christianity has of what demons give to people is knowledge and wisdom that they have not earned from themselves mm-hmm. right and like this being essentially the sin of adam that he sought the knowledge that he had not yet gained right to yeah um so it's like going back well, to, going back to fever dreams well it's like what is it that there, there's also like in in uh well, in, in, in traditional okay go ahead real quick I like tying that into into fever dreams like what is it that defines a fever dream as something that like what is it that makes a fever dream happen it's basically suffering mm-hmm. yeah right so like the reason the, like you, you gain access to something through suffering mm-hmm. and this is an right. this is like a, a, a central so if you go back to early christianity like that, that's like the central theme of christianity is that you gain spiritual insight by suffering mm-hmm so it's like you have here, here you have a good reflection and something that everybody can understand where like, look, you actually have personal experience that you know this to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, here, is this, here is this instance where like everything of yourself is completely broken down because you're sick and you're in your fever and you like your whole body hurts and you have no energy and you're helpless. And like you, so you, you might even feel like death. Yeah, right. Uh, and it's like, and this is when you have like these incredible insights. Mm-hmm. Or they could be incredible insights. They might, might also just be like horribly disturbing and terrifying, which is also true of, of religious experience. Yeah, right. And it's also true of, of drug trips, obviously. Yeah, right. So like, so like this being a reason why so many Christians, especially like. Uh, Protestants, modern Protestants, have such an objection to any kind of mystical practice in Christianity is because oftentimes it's really terrifying. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it, it has, um, like, all these things, uh, um, everything so far that, that we've we've mentioned about um, drug use, we could have said about uh, mystical experience or mystical practices and vice versa, because you were talking about suffering and um, a lot of... Uh, um, uh, a lot of mystical practices deal in some kind of uh, some kind of deprivation to your body, or just just some kind of sensory deprivation. Also, I mean, even like uh, um, this isn't exactly like uh, um, well, this 
uh, this actually is a mystical practice, but I'm going to talk about in prison when we use that as a punishment. Like you put somebody in, in solitary confi confinement and I mean, like they just go nuts. Yeah. Um, like, like it's something that just people have a really, really hard time handling, but, um, you can, you can, you can volunteer for it. Like you can take the approach of the mystic and yeah. put yourself in solitary confinement and instead you have uh you have religious experience which which also might be horrifying like you said um but it's not um it's not solitary confinement like it's still um like it's it's a cross that you're taking up it's not a punishment um so even if it's scary and uncomfortable you can handle it um, but anyways, like, uh, but you, you get, so e even just being alone, even just like closing your eyes and praying is, uh, like a, a practice of solitude, um, which is a, which is a deprivation. Um, and, um, and then, so like the, you know, in a drug experience, you get this sort of, a um, suffering that goes along with that as well. So like you weren't, you weren't talking about, uh, drug experience when you were talking about suffering and the, the effect that it has on people. But like, um, they, they do, they do all work in the same way. And, uh, uh like another, uh, another thing, like, um, another type of experience that we haven't mentioned is like severe injury or yeah. near death experience. Um, which, um, which you basically just have to count a, a near-death experience as being a, a drug trip. Um, it, I mean, it's a, it's a natural thing. You, you, obviously, you're not taking some other foreign substance or whatever, but um, your, your body is being flooded with its own drugs um, in, in a way that, um, that never, ever happens at any other time in life. Um, and so, and then people have these, uh, mystical experiences and their experiences that, um, they're not just weird hallucinations, but they are experiences that, that people say, um, change their understanding of life and their purpose in life, um, and their love of life. And like, I mean, um, like someone, someone who has a near-death experience, there's nothing, there's nothing more profound in all their life than what they experience in that moment. Um, but, but again, that's true of, of, um, like some type of drug trips too. Um, not, which I'm not advocating for, but, but like, but there's a connection. And I, I mentioned that being true of, of like, there's some dreams that I have had, um, that, that there are just not very many experiences in my life that um, that that affected me in as strong a way as what a few select dreams of mine have had. Um, uh, I mean, I, I won't, I won't, I might wind up telling this whole story, but I don't think I will right now. But I mean, there was, there was a. And this this is not a common experience for me, um, so I I don't want to give that impression. But um, I I woke from a, a dream one time, and I I had only been married probably for a few months, um, and uh, 
again, I, I, this will just seem dumb if I don't tell this story, but I'm, I'm still, I'm not going to tell it right now. Um, but I, I woke up from this dream and I, I spent like half an hour crying and like, I had to tell my wife, like, like I'm crying because of a dream. Um, but, um, but I, I mean, I don't know how to explain it. Like it, it was a major dream for me. And like, like now several years later, like the experience of that dream still remains, uh, like, um, important and like a, a marker of, a um, like, uh, of a healing of a very deep wound in my life. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I got, I got a little distracted, um, once again, but, um, but like you, you get all these different types of experiences that, that, that are really similar in a lot of ways. Um, with, again, with dreams, with, with drug experiences, with, um, with mystical experiences that are achieved through mystical practices. Um, and it, I don't know, it is weird because like I say, you can, you can have, um, I, maybe I'll, I'll just make this comment and I'll, I'll, I'll see what you have to say about it. I was going to say, you can, you can have a good life, um, a good honorable Christian life, um, without having some profound visionary mystical experience like that. Right. I, I, I mean, I think I agree. I think, um, probably more people don't have a mystical experience than do. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I, I feel that that's true. Um, that's not to say that, like, I think probably just about everybody, even non-religious people, have a spiritual experience at some point. But I don't, I don't know that I would say that those are actually the same thing. Yeah. Not the same um, thing as as a, a visionary experience specifically, or what? What do you mean? Right, like some kind of deep, mystical, I don't know uh, what I'm trying to say, I guess. Um, like some kind of profound... Uh, like epiphany or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, but even that is, is, it's like, even though I'm agreeing with you and it's like, yeah, I, I think that's true. I'm also like, what? but then again, what's an epiphany? Um, just, just because, because you, you can, you can describe like, I don't know. I mean, Today I was just sitting around on the couch and I looked up out the window and like uh, the sun was shining on the grass and you know it was kind of dark inside but it was just like bright and cheerful outside um, and I don't know it just just felt nice um, but it was like this uplifting moment um, I you know I mean you could call that an epiphany if you want to but it's just it's just a, like a lower tier epiphany. It's, it's not something that I'm going to remember years down the road. Well, yeah, like, I, I don't like necessarily the words I use, but, like, just addressing, like, specifically the idea, like, do you have, like, this this profound vision? Um, 
but like I think most people probably don't. Mm-hmm. Um, at least not not to, like certainly not to the the, the degree that somebody like Ezekiel or or John yeah right did um, I don't I don't feel like that's an even remotely <laughs> controversial statement yeah right <laughs> okay well um I don't know if we'll go for too much longer. We've been went at it maybe 50 minutes, uh, close to that. Just uh, about, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, did, I just had to come inside actually and plug my phone in because it's 3% battery. Oh yeah, mine's probably about there too actually. My uh, uh, yeah, exclamation mark is on. I, I know I'm under 5%. So we better wrap it up pretty quick, I guess. Um, yeah. You got any any final thoughts? Or anything um, else that you wanted to include? I, I think probably we should we should probably uh, tie this a little more firmly into like this idea of dreams. Um, I feel like we haven't been very clear on, on, our, on the actual goal of like. For me, I guess the actual what I understood as our actual goal was like, look, here is what we talked about this idea of like meaning and symbol and like this non-rational approach to something like like religion in the scriptures and here you have something here you have an example of something that you already you already experience and you already understand that it's something that you can't really grapple with rationally mm-hmm. right um, so this is something and like and, and like we're not unique in that in that idea that claim this is something that christians have this is an illustration that christians have used for thousands of years for two thousand years it's like hey look if you want to understand how Christian, how if you want to understand how scripture and how spiritual experience looks, how it works, I mean, uh, here's a very mundane example that you can look at. Yeah, right. Um, which I think it's also like be cautious. Like we're not saying that dreams are religious, um, <laughs> like on par with. Uh, serious religious experience well i mean like i said i'm i'm just so cautious about that because um well so just, like, just I'm because of these that, these I'm, dreams that i've had that have have been uh, yeah like have, have been really significant for me and and like yeah, so, so like you also have writings from the church on that very idea that kind of say like you know be very very cautious with that because you don't know, like, when you have dreams, like, you don't actually know what's behind the dreams. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and, like, there, there's a lot of cautioning in traditional Christianity, like, don't look at dreams as visionary and mystical experiences, because usually they're not. And, like, oftentimes going so, so far as to say that dreams are probably the action of demons. Like, I don't know, I'm not supporting that statement. I don't know that I agree with it. Like, well, that's not like a, a Christian doctrine, a Christian dogma. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's it's an idea that's present in the mystical writers. Yeah. Um, like, like you, they're, they're making this comparison with dreams, but then backing off of it and saying like, but don't, don't think that we're, we're endorsing this idea that you experience God through dreams. Yeah. Um, 
Which again, like you have to back off of that statement again and say like, well, obviously you can't experience God's dreams because people in the Bible did. Yeah, right. Well, there's there's this uh, this sort of um, caution that um, that exists in mystical traditions that um, you you need to weigh your mystical experience against tradition, um, against the the doctrines of the church. Um, because, because you don't know, like, um, you, you don't know, like how good these things are or how accurate or true or, you know, heavenly they are. Um, and I mean, I suppose you could say the same thing, uh, in terms of dreams, although like, I mean, when I, when I talk about dreams that, that have, um, impacted me, like they, they were certainly not like, it wasn't me trying to make something out of something else. Like I, I had no choice but to be moved by them. Um, and, and one of them, like I said, I mean, I, I would describe it as, as, uh, like, um, healing of, of, well, of the loss of our grandfather. Um, and, uh, and, and another, uh, another, which was not as narrative, but but uh like i i woke up and um like in in waking up from this dream then i i felt like um okay i i need to extend forgiveness to to this other person which was somebody else not our grandfather anymore but like but somebody else um that had died um that i i had kind of like had some resentment toward um and I mean, like it, it was, it was because of a dream that, that like I could, I could kind of step back and like identify like, okay, I have been carrying this resentment around and, and I can forgive this person. Um, which I don't know. I mean, like, um, I, I don't know like what a religious experience would be if it's not, um, like this, um, this powerful call to forgive someone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like, it, it, I mean, it, it is kind of a difficult question, I guess, like, um, Maybe you could explain it something like maybe the caution against dreams is more something like uh, oh, like sort of careless interpretation of dreams that people tend to have, where like oh, I, I I saw something in a dream, so that means I need to go and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like the, although you know, like, I mean, even even then, I just am going to argue with you on all these. I think. <laughs> Um, so, um, so, like, there's certainly an idea in psychology, and like, the psychology of dreams is that, um, you tend to see in dreams what the things that you want to see. Um, and like, Carl Jung definitely has this idea in dream interpretation. It's like, well, like, what's coming out in dreams, in his mind, is, like, the suppressed desires of your subconscious. Yeah. So it's like, um... Like well, that's certainly, that's certainly a, a part of dreams, and like that's that's 
that again like it doesn't sound like it at first but it's very similar to the idea like the concept that like fourth century christians have of demons well but but um, like i mean young also has this idea that um you can you can help a person overcome their psychological problems by providing them with the mythic symbols that deal with those problems or um, they can solve those problems in another way, and if they do that, then those symbols will spontaneously appear in dreams, mm-hmm. which, which is like is is something very different than uh, um, than like these just being images of suppressed desires, um, because uh, I mean that's like in in dreams you see the language of healing, All right. I mean, so, so in, in a sense, that, that still means there are two, two worlds there, which I suppose when I, was, when I was younger, maybe I would have had more, like, I don't know, um, like wish fulfillment kind of dreams. Um, I had had more dreams in general, I guess, when I was younger. Well, yeah, but. like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, like, wish fulfillment. And, like, I'm, I'm talking about, like, this idea, like, so, like, you have all these uh, suppressed natures. Mm-hmm, right. And, and they come out through dreams. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, like, again, actually does touch fairly close to... To, like to the symbols of healing, thing. actually. For, for young, I mean, that's that's going to be close to the yeah. idea. But, but, but there's also a sense in which it does also touch close to, like, a 4th century idea of demons. That, um, like, you, you have... So, like... There's this, there's this idea of healing that can come through dreams in young, but there's also this idea of possession that's reflected through dreams mm-hmm. in young, um, like ideological possession. I think that's is, is, is that like a Jordan Peterson term based on young? Um, as, but I, I don't know that young uses that term. Like I'm not super red. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he 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 ties that concept to young. Um, in, in a way that makes me think that it must be Young's term, but, um, but yeah, I don't know for sure. It might not be. Yeah, but anyway, like the I guess what I'm getting at is um, like so like there's also this this idea that like a lot of what comes out in in dreams is demonic. Um, and, but it, but then again, like. In like Jungian psychology, you can also relate that back to healing because it's like, well, like, because you need to pay attention to those things, you need to look at them and be aware of them. Well, but that's also like, um, I mean, most of the time when you mention something being demonic in our conversations, then you say it with the idea that like, um, you know, you 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 do need to confront your demons, you need to right. face them, you know. And like when people say meditation practices just invite demons to come in, then you said like. Um, well, that's kind of the point. right. And so, um, I mean, yeah, like so in like, a dream yeah. in the same way, like if there's something demonic in your dream, then like, what's the conclusion that you come to? Because it, it seems like, like a natural conclusion would be like, well, you better understand that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that like, instead it's like, yes, you better be aware of that. You better pay attention to that. You better like be conscious of what's going on. But the other side of that is you probably shouldn't do what the demons are telling you to do. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I think that I think that's the caution that like these that 
these yeah. writers that I'm talking about are getting at. It's like, you should pay attention to them. You should pay attention to your dreams and learn the lessons of your dreams. But you probably shouldn't do all the things that your dreams tell you to do. Um, and like, I think it was, again, it was a specifically aimed at this idea that uh, is pretty, I wouldn't say like prevalent, but it is certainly like constantly there in Christianity that people feel like God is leading them through dreams to do this or that. Mm-hmm. And, like, and it's like there's like right away a caution against that in Christianity. It's like, no, you're probably not being led by God to do something in a dream. Yeah. You're probably being led by demons or by your own vanities or, or, or who knows what. But it's right. probably not God. Yeah. Which isn't the same thing as to say, like, you, you should just not pay any attention to the dreams. Because it's like, again, like you mentioned the... Uh, solitary confinement and how like but you also have spiritualists that willingly place themselves in, in solitary confinement mm-hmm. it's like well that's the uh, um that's like the hermit that's the uh the solitary monk which like used to be an ex- like an extremely important and prevalent part of christian practice that you would have uh like John Krasowski would be an example. He he was uh, uh, he was a hermit until his hermetic practices and his extreme uh, aesthetic lifestyle that he lived in isolation damaged his body so much that he had to he had to move move back to live with people. Yeah. Um, but it's like this used to be very very common that you put yourself in. Uh, in solitude they completely cut off from human contact for a period and the purpose is like it's basically to encounter demons mm-hmm. right so it's like uh like um learning the harsh lessons of life through like the most extreme form of suffering that you can voluntarily put on that is not like destructively sinful. Yeah, right. Because like you, you have like well, like an example of what I'm talking about that it's not would be like the flagellants after the Black Death, who uh, feel like okay, we ha- we have some need to take on some kind of extreme ascetic practice so that we can restore the spirituality that's been lost and has been has led to this great cataclysm. So we're just gonna walk around beating ourselves. Yeah, you don't like that. Uh, <laughs> is that a serious question? <laughs> no, I mean I don't really like it, but uh. Um, no, like I understand it. Like it relates to what we're talking about. Like, yeah, right. Because because like you 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 have like, and they were right. Like like you do have a, a spiritual experience through like the voluntary putting on the suffering. Uh-huh. Well, but also it's, like uh, it, it's like that's like a pretty abhorrent interpretation of that idea. Right. Like, it's the same thing as, like, the depressed kids that cut themselves in order to feel something. Um, so it's like, they're right. They actually will feel something. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a little different phenomenon than that. I mean, partly because, well, no, like... I, I, think it's, I think it's different, but, I like, there is a comparison to be made. Yeah. Um... Like, I'm just drawing that comparison strictly to the point, like, look, here's, like, 
um, like there is an understanding that through pain there is something to be gained. Mm-hmm. Right. But 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 then there's like the flip side of that is there's like a really abhorrent twisting of that, which is to like intentionally mutilate yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's there's something very striking about them. Um, I mean, you say you say there's like a positive element in it, um, but it's like this extreme expression, um, extreme to the point of being destructive. You're talking again about about the flagellants. About the flagellants and not the kids they cut. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, but I mean, in in a sense, that's also like. Um, I, I mean, I, I sort of hesitate to say this, but it seems like there's a strength in that, in that extreme, that destructive extreme, because, um, like, once once you sort of cross the threshold into like the really extreme, then, um, then, then like, then, then your your actions then your actions become like a poetic expression of something. Like you're no longer a normal person anymore. Um, and so like that, that expression that, that the flagellants made, I mean, of course people criticize it today a lot more than they compliment it, but, um, but it's like their statement is still in the air, you know? Yeah. Um, um yeah, but so it's like, it's also kind of important to understand their, their context. Like, yeah, you can look at the context of the black death, but there's a lot more to it than that. It's like, this isn't like some kind of masochistic response to tragedy, Rather, like, it's more like an extreme response to the spiritual state of Europe mm-hmm. surrounding the, the era of the Black Death, which is like the height of scholasticism, mm-hmm. like the height of like where um, like the official dogma of the church is like, well, like because they're going insane in the uh, in the rooting out of heresy that everything is so like is being so meticulously defined yeah um and it's like the root to spirituality at that time in the official dog like in the official viewpoint of the church is uh like to be a really good student mm-hmm. like be the best scholar this is how you be a good christian yeah and so it's like you have you have like um the response to that is almost unavoidable is that there's a recognition like ingrained in the human soul is like no spiritual experience isn't gained through knowledge like it's not something you attain through study it's something you attain through suffering Mm -hmm. and you and we've created this christianity like we find ourselves in an extremely similar period actually right now i Mm -hmm. think where we we've created a christianity that uh is so intentional and abhors suffering and so what's the response going to be it's like well maybe maybe the flagellants are going to come back yeah you know it's also interesting that um we have all these people that that want to um condemn you, you could say western civilization or or capitalism or whatever it may be um the the state of well, any any of the sins that the corporate world commits um, against humanity, let's say, it's like if you actually wanted to bring judgment on on these problems, then 
you could just become an ascetic. Like, yeah. uh, you could just, yeah, just you could like, just live without. Like, okay, don't go to the movies. Um, don't right. go to the store. You just <laughs> raise food in your garden. You know, I mean, you you can't be a you can't be a hermit in quite the same way today um, because of, of land ownership. Like, um, you know, you, you've got to live somewhere and you've got to pay to live in that place. Um, right. so, so you have to have some sorts of, of monetary income, but it actually doesn't have to be very much. Um, so like just, just meet that and then do everything else yourself. Um, and, and just kind of live this hermit lifestyle. And if, if that's a movement and a bunch of other people do the same thing, then the, the systems that you hate will come crumbling down. But like all the people that are condemning those things are also like, um, you know, like they're, they're totally caught up in, in the consumerism that they're, they're, they're condemning, which I'm not trying to say like, oh, look at those awful hypocrites. It's like, I mean, they, uh, hopefully they recognize they're part of the problem. I'm not saying that they don't. Um, but I, but it's interesting just because you were saying these flagellants are, are sort of um, operating in a way that's condemning uh, the sins of their culture. Right. And, and it's, it's weird because if we acted in a really similar way, not necessarily, well, not necessarily self-harming, but doing without. I don't think that's accurate, though. I don't think they actually are condemning the sins of their culture. Um, because, like... My own, like I think this is important. My understanding of medieval Christianity is that cultural Christianity is was radically opposed to uh, official Christianity in the West during the Middle Ages. Yeah, and like I think I don't think the flagellants are. I don't think they're uh, like condemning the excesses of the culture. I think they are pointing the finger at like the elite mm -hmm. like those that are trying to grind the people like I don't want to make this sound like a, some kind of pseudo-communist <laughs> opposition to hierarchy or to the elite or, or something like that um, well I mean sometimes I mean, that's, like, that's, that's well, not what I mean yeah um, but it's like there's like this this phenomenon going on in the west where, where like the official doctrines of the church are like trying to destroy like I don't want to say authentic Christianity but like uh, trying to destroy um, like what lies at the heart of Christianity for most people like for the average person in Europe so like I mean who can't who doesn't have access to the universities to theology um, can't read Latin well, mm -hmm. actually a large number of them can but um, they still like they don't have access to this like the channel that the church has created for being a theologian um, it's just like you don't have access to it mm -hmm. so what are you going to do you're going to go out and do something that is the uh, I guess, like, in my mind, it seems like it's designed to uh, to disturb the church as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There again, like, not, not, not that you would become a flagellant, but, but even just, like, saying no to, to 
many of the comforts that modern people enjoy. Um, like that, it's it just interesting that that would be a, a condemnation on culture that actually would result in the culture having to change because like if, if people aren't consuming at the same, uh, uh, reckless pace, then, then like, then the system must change. Um, but, but, but it would also, um, actually be an affront to, to, um, like popular Christianity as well. Right. I mean, I feel like the flags once weren't successful. Yeah. Is that well, I mean, you know, they they also have this this problem of being the extreme, like, um, right. You know, I, I, although I mentioned there's a strength to it, um, there's there's a weakness to it too. Yeah, but, but so it's like it's almost like the flagellants are like the demon of the of the church rearing its head. Yeah. It's like this is the thing that you've tried to. Uh, this is the th- the very thing that you've tried so hard to get rid of, um, and it's like if 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 you are, this is kind of delving into the, <laughs> kind of delving a little bit into the realm of Peugeot language here, but like I think it's very very correct and very apt to this, that like this is the thing that you've been trying to get rid of, but like you can't get rid of it; it's a necessary part of the whole. But since you've tried to get rid of it, since you pushed it to the margin. Um, and excluded it, it becomes a monster. Like mm. it becomes the monster that turns around and destroys you. Yeah. So it's like the reason they're flagellants, like these people parading around the street with whips, bloodying themselves, um, like just doing everything they can to disturb and shake the very core of society um, and like undo it, is because they have no other choice. So it's like they are something that is corrupt and not not good, and like you could even say like evil and demonic. But speak in like, but the reason they're they that's what they are is because they have no choice but to be that. Yeah. Like like you have to almost stop looking at them as individuals and start look like for that to understand what I'm trying to say like. Don't consider them as individuals, but consider like the whole movement as an entity. Yeah. Um. And like, and that goes back, I guess, also to like the discussion on dreams. Is like very often that's what dreams are, or what these things are. Is like these are the things that you've pushed to the margins of yourself, you've pushed outside of yourself. And um, they, they, they will come back as monsters, um, which is also like very, very close to a Jungian way of looking at it. Like the things that you repress become the shadow that then possesses you. And yeah, right. You. Um, yeah. Yeah, I also had a dream not, not terribly long ago um, when we were living in Plymouth. And I was uh, I was out, um, kind of in in a big clearing in the middle of the woods, and I was looking up at, at the stars, and they were very bright and like kind of strangely patterned. Um, I mean, just sort of like kind of grid-like, um, 
but I was just looking up and, and kind of studying them and looking around and seeing the, the dark outlines of the trees all around me. And um, I said, even if I never see another tree, I will always see them in dreams. <laughs> and uh, I thought, I, I, I better move out of town. <laughs> Which I didn't, I didn't really do that, but I do feel like, uh, um, uh, I, I, I feel a lot less like I'm in town right now than I did in that, in that place. Um, which I don't know, I mean, we were planning on moving. That's not the reason that I moved. Um, and I, I don't think that was necessarily about, like, I need to buy a different kind of a house. But, but I feel like there's, there's kind of always this tension with me that... Um, like I, I sort of, I sort of have a need for nature and if I'm not meeting that need, then it's, uh, I mean, I just, I just don't feel good. Mm -hmm. But, but I don't know that, that dream was like, that was certainly on my mind when I was, uh, looking around for houses. So we didn't manage. Yeah. We didn't manage to get a nice place in the country, but um, we we at least got a baseball field in our backyard. Right, and there's some trees around there too. Yeah, right. Um. Anyway, as far as uh, um, I don't know. Like, I feel like this is all useful. Like, again, tying it back to the idea of scripture. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think one of the. Like it, it's, it's, it, it, it is, that is again like something scripture very often does is like brings out the uncomfortable side of things mm -hmm. like there's a lot of things in scripture like you don't really know where to put these things because they seem they seem wrong yeah right uh, they, they seem out of place and they seem like they don't they don't sit in your the way you put things together and like mm -hmm. oftentimes I think that's actually the point of why they're there is because they don't fit yeah right uh, and like there are there are important lessons and like lessons that you can l learn from reality like from your own experience that like well no like you can't you can't actually construct this sort of well put together and disciplined and uh, ordered reality that Christians so often want to because you create monsters when you do that. Mm -hmm. um, and like we see that in our society right now, it's like our society is being like consumed by the very monsters that it uh, set out to destroy. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've got this like interesting uh, relationship with the 1950s um, because it's sort of like um, everybody, everybody looks back at the 1950s um, and I mean, just post-World War II era um, in general. And they look at it as either like um, this was a golden age and we need to get back to it. Um, or they look at it as like uh, this was <laughs> like the ultimate evil age. <laughs> um, right. This was when everything was restricted. Um, nobody could be anybody except for just a certain type of... Uh, of uh, uh, ideal person um, and I mean it's it's interesting because because like those stories are opposites to each other and and yet both of them are true um, 
and I mean like there there are things that we've lost in in rebelling against that time that uh, boy it sure would have been nice if we would not have lost them um, in well, there's also things like of that time it's like yeah we probably don't want that yeah right right I mean it, it is also true that like um, I don't know there are, there are like um, restrictions you know of like what's acceptable and like uh, a certain type of keeping up appearances and everything um, right uh I, I mean, it is, it is just weird that, like, both of those things are true, and, and, and it's, like, it's sort of perfectly explainable by what you said, like, um, we, we created the monsters that we're dealing with, and we created them, uh, in, in that golden age. You know, because, because, because we ordered everything in that golden age. Yeah, so like that's an interesting, uh, like an interesting observation on like the history of the church. Like we mentioned with the flagellants earlier, and like the flagellants arise out of this period where, uh, where like the church in the West had become like obsessed with control, uh, um, and like you have like the Inquisition arising in the 12th century. Is that correct? when it starts um, um it starts with the cathars i think it must be um so like like there's this period like early on in the second millennium there's this uh there's this period where the uh the church starts to get really carried away with trying to enforce uh, like a very systematic form of Christianity and like in the east you had had that happen maybe like 500 years before um, probably not quite that long but, but then like they turned around and abandoned that idea and like the idea during like during the height of the Byzantine Empire, and like during uh, like also during its decline, I guess also like during the second half of it, I guess you could maybe that'd be accurate to say that. Uh, and it is kind of still the idea in the Orthodox Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church became that like well heretics are going to be here and they're actually a necessary part of the process, and the best thing that we can do is allow them to actually be a part of the church. And mm -hmm. so, for that reason, our response to heresy is basically going to be to ignore it. Yeah. Like, unless things get really out of hand, like, we'll pretty much just ignore it. Um, and, like, even, like, taking that as far as, like, also witches are something that are real. And they're, like, witchcraft and sorcery exist. But, like, our response to witches is going to be, like, they're crazy people. Don't pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just like, like it, it, it's fascinating like there's this opposite approach that arises um, and so like you get this like where basically the church in the west creates all of its own demons that then turn around and destroy it in the 16th century yeah right 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's a, a, a simple explanation of history that works, that seems to work pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's something like very inevitable about the Protestant Reformation. Um, even though, like, for some reason, you don't have the same inevitable thing happen in the Orthodox world. Um, but, but like, I mean, the, the Catholic Church had just tried to suppress all these fringe ideas for so long. And, I well, mean... So, like, yeah, I mean, because, like, what do you have happen when the articles from the Protestants show up in the Orthodox world is the Orthodox higher-ups look at them and say, like, oh, yeah, this is all right. yeah. Like, we agree with everything you're saying. What's the problem here? Yeah. So it's like, how can you have a reformation when something like... <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, it's like you can't... Like, you can't rebel against a system that's not a system. Yeah, right. Um, well, I don't want to get too much into the argument of why it, it didn't happen there, um, but... Uh, you know, I, I raise it just to make the point, like, the Catholic Church had been working really hard to suppress all kinds of heresies um, yeah. for for a few hundred years um, before the Reformation. And I, I think one of the, like, I don't know, probably the first insight into church history that I ever had was like, wait a minute, um, the church is working so hard to shut all these ideas down, but once a printing press is invented, it, it can't do it anymore. Yeah, right. Um, and, and so, like, I, I, I just ha- kind of had this notion that um, that that was the thing that that made this thing um, totally unavoidable. Um, it's like you can you could suppress all these ideas but eventually um eventually something's going to get out from under your control and then well, yeah, that's so, that's so when like, you've got the monster and, and i'm still talking about dreams <laughs> by the way <laughs> when i say this also that it's like you have this you have this problem in protestant evangelization that you can't you can't evangelize the greeks you can't evangelize the russians like, you can't evangelize Orthodox countries. They're just not interested in it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, like, I, and like, I studied that a lot and looked into it. So it's like, why is Protestantism just com- so completely unattractive in the East? And the answer is because it has nothing to offer them. Like, there's nothing new because these, like, the, the problems that existed that led to the Reformation just didn't exist in the East. Yeah. Um, and, like, as this relates back to, like, again, we're talking about dreams here that like well like that's what that's what uh, what i find that dreams are is they're the problems that i'm ignoring mm-hmm. yeah um and it's like i made this comment earlier that like i so rarely have dreams anymore and it's almost always when i'm just really sick yeah and then, and then they just tend to be like wild fever dreams that like I can't do anything with them. Mm-hmm. Like I can, like when I when I can analyze them, like I can figure out. Like, okay, what's actually going on here is that I'm re- I'm really sick, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like my my mind is trying to tell me that. Yeah. Because like that's 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 almost always the way that I figure out that I'm actually sick. Yeah. Um, Boy, I should have like figured it out because before before uh, I knew I was sick, I I was. Uh, 
um, I had some weird dreams. And yeah, like when I start <laughs> having weird dreams, like I, I might like wake up in the morning and be all achy and feel bad, and it's just like, eh. It's morning. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. And, and then like I'll feel bad the day, the whole day, and it's like, well, why do I feel bad? Yeah. And then the next night I'll have like wild fever dreams, and it's like, oh, I'm really sick apparently. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, anyway. even when you you said dreams were like they were about problems that you're ignoring, but sometimes uh, ignoring makes it sound like you're guilty of something, and it might. Uh, in in the case of being sick, it's like it's actually like an advanced warning before you have any anything yeah. else to indicate there is a problem. The dream comes along and tells you, and I don't know, maybe there's something to that, like with your your personal problems too. It's like. Uh, I mean, maybe you'll have a dream when it's some nagging thing, but I don't. I, I don't know that it necessarily has to be something that you're ignoring. It, it just uh, maybe it's something that you are <laughs> dealing with, or maybe it's something that like the 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 force of it hasn't hit you in a way that um, that you even know there's a problem yet. But not because you're yeah. ignoring it, just because you're you're dealing with something else. Um, what, what I was trying to get to was that comment, though. So like, I used to have dreams a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but when I started paying attention to them and started looking at them as like, okay, these are actually my demons speaking to me, and I should actually listen to them. Like, not listen to them as in do what they say, but listen to them as like, oh, wait a minute, this is something I'm neglecting. This is something I'm pushing, like something of myself that I've pushed out, mm-hmm. like out of my attempt to define myself yeah and like and like did like realizing that that's a futile thing and so it's like oh like these are all important things that should be incorporated um in whatever way that they need to be and so it's like when i do that then it's like i stop having dreams yeah right yeah sometimes i get like nostalgic for dreams that i had when i was a kid um like there would be certain places that i would wind up in you know, all the time. And like for, for years, I might have this certain place that I wind up in. Um, and I can remember a lot of these different locations that, that only existed in dreams, but I never get to go back to them. And it's like, well, I don't know what I was dealing with at the time, but <laughs> excuse me. Uh, but like, I'm just, I'm not dealing with the same stuff anymore. So, uh, yeah. you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a 10 year old kid anymore and I don't have the problems of a 10 year old kid so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go back to that same place in a dream anyway it was about 40 minutes ago when we started to close <laughs> yeah uh, um, I guess like if I was to wrap this up at this point with something like I can I can draw um, like a statement of wisdom out of this point in the conversation right here which is um, like and this is aimed <laughs> Specifically at those Christians that um, have this idea that you need to completely, like, not encounter demons ever. And which is like, hey, like, look, actually, when you, when you ignore your, like, when you, when you don't look at the demons, when you don't ask them what they're saying, when you don't listen to what they're saying, then they actually have control over you, power over you. But as soon as you shine the light of them on them, like their their power is gone. Mm-hmm. And like this is, I guess, like the the wisdom, the lesson, like I learned from my own experience is like, well, as soon as I started actually paying attention to my demons, like they're not demons anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. I uh. I, 
I'll just kind of illustrate with another uh, um, with, with another dream that kind of does that same thing. And I think I told you about this before, but um, I had for a long time uh, I had dreams uh, where I would see ghosts. And I I first remember having this dream when I was in college, um, and I I guess that's probably when it started. And I one night um, I was uh, oh I was sleeping, but uh, you know at an unusual time because I was in college. And I had this dream, and I, I went down in the basement at mom and dad's house, and um, and there was a ghost down there, and it it was just like just like a, a you know white wispy kind of human form but it wound up looking me like right in the face and it was just a few inches away from my face which to describe that is like not that scary you know and if you, you put that in a movie or something I mean I guess you could try to make that scary but it's like it probably wouldn't be <laughs> but but like to experience it a dream was was just really terrifying um, it, and I don't I don't get scared by dreams I'm, I'm more likely to uh, <laughs> to, I'm more likely to start laughing in the middle of the night at a dream than I am to to get scared of a dream. Um, but but I woke up and and I just like I had to just I was gonna I wanted to go downstairs and I would have a lot of friends down in the lounge and just kind of hang out with some other people. But like I just had to sit in my room for a little while and just like settle down, get my heart rate down um, because it, I don't know it just it really shook me up. So then, uh, sorry, I'm already telling this story taking longer than I meant to, but um, as years went by, I would I would keep having dreams. They were never in the basement at mom and dad's again, but I would have dreams where where I would see ghosts, and um, when I would see them, then I would try to uh, try to tell them to go away, and. A lot of times what I would try to do is I would like try to cast them out in the name of Jesus, which which it would kind of like surprised me that that is what I would try to do. Um, but uh, but when I when I tried to say it, then the words would always be like really garbled coming out of my mouth. Uh, so I like I I I can't <laughs> even though like I'm, I'm acting like I have some kind of uh, ability to stand up to this thing. I don't because I can't form the words. And then also once I got married, then I found out that like, I'm actually saying those words <laughs> and they're not coming out very clearly. <laughs> Just like, uh, like these like groany mumbles, um, that are me trying to get rid of ghosts. So, uh, uh, so that was a dream that I had that was a recurring thing. And, uh, and finally I just made up my mind, um, like the next time that I see a ghost in a dream, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to try to get rid of it. Like, I'm just going to watch it. I'm just going to look at it. I'm not going to be afraid of it. Um, because, because like telling it to go away was, was an act of fear, you know? Um, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to look at it. And then, uh, I never had that chance. I didn't ever see, I didn't ever see one in a dream again. Um, and so like, like the, the cure to the whole thing was just, don't be afraid. Um, and if you're not afraid, then, then the, the ghosts or the demons in life or whatever, they don't have power over you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, one other uh, one other point I did want to repeat from earlier was just this this notion of uh, of interpretation of symbols, um, and it's hard. I mean, if if you see somebody with some bizarre interpretation that doesn't make any sense, then you can't exactly just say like, "Well, he must be right because um, you know because he was a, a saint." I mean, some people can say that. And, and accept that answer, but I, I would understand why that's a hard answer if somebody's saying something that doesn't make sense. Um, but um, I, I, somehow, like, that was a really interesting part of the early conversation to me was that idea that, like, I had this interpretation of one of those dreams that that rationally basically made no sense at all like two actions does not mean that something is a heartbeat um and even if it is a heartbeat like why would that make me comfortable with it <laughs> and like why would that set me at peace enough so that i can sort of sleep through the night like uh why would that knowledge have that effect like none of those pieces seem to fit rationally together um but but somehow they did fit together um, when um, when we're interpreting symbols or we're like when we find uh, something that seems symbolic in the Bible or whatever um, then like we, we turn it into a sort of a like a, a game of chess um, where we try to decipher like what is the meaning of this thing right um, which which kind of betrays like it betrays a rational reading um, and not a, uh, a a prayerful reading um, I don't know if my point is very clear there but like um, um But like if, if you're just if you're looking if you're looking for this sort of proper interpretation, um, then like you're looking you're like the kid who's trying to get the right answers. Um, and and that's that's different than being um, open and receptive to uh, to what what the spirit says. So I, I don't know. That was that part of the conversation, as I said, was interesting to me because um, because it did seem like there's a kind of a light in there on on the way that we read and interpret scripture. Yeah. So uh, like we mentioned this in a, in a previous conversation. I don't know if I should go into this because this might make the conversation go a lot longer. <laughs> but uh, about like the men of Nineveh not knowing the right hand from their left hand and kind of like a a debate on how to interpret that like is that a good thing or a bad thing like I actually found how I found that that is uh, is a phrase that's used earlier in scripture in the exodus um, when those that were fully grown and adults um, when they sent the spies into Canaan and then because they were fearful all of the adults were cursed to never enter into the promised land. And the, uh, the children 
those that were like were like was it like those under 20 or something like that would be allowed to go in and the yeah. children um and like the way it describes their innocence is to say that they didn't know their right hand from their left hmm. yeah um so it's like um like kind of this idea like you're not you're not separating things off into categories mm-hmm. like this this being this being like a trait of the pure and innocent mind is that you're not trying to separate everything off into its own category yeah but instead you're just you're just receiving it as it comes to you and like jesus likes it and like i think like that ties it very neatly back with Jesus idea like his his commandment like no, not commandment but his statement that you need to receive the receive your like receive the gospel like a child you need to have faith like a child yeah right and like well part of part of that is you don't know your right hand from your left like you're not you're not you're not cutting things off of the of the loaf and, and putting them in, in this basket in that basket Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which I like, I think that's what's really interesting. Like you can expand. Like I don't want to get too far into it now. But, like you can expand on that symbol an awful lot, and like it ties so many concepts of Christianity and of Scripture together. Like when you consider this idea of right and left. Yeah. Not right. Like right and left. Like this being this kind of innocence, and like specifically this innocence of not. Uh, not defining and systematizing everything mm-hmm. so it's like this open like this extreme openness like this perfect openness yeah right receptive receptiveness because it's like what's the what's the barrier to openness and receptiveness it's that uh like like i find so often the barrier to receptiveness for myself and to openness is that well i've got things put together in such a way that nothing else fits mm-hmm Right. Which and like this being this being like the point so often when I uh, like I bring up a contradictory point or like try to um, challenge like a dogmatic statement or idea that we have is like oh like I'm not trying to say that you're wrong and my point is right. I'm trying to say like no like you've we we've we've cut things off and put them in in their own baskets in this way that we shouldn't be doing. Mhm. Yeah, I mean when when you said what is the what is the uh um the problem that prevents you from being open and receptive and accepting of things um then uh, I mean like a, a short answer to that is that it is pride. Right. You know, I mean, you, you, you kind of spell it out a little more specifically and like say it, well, I think I've got things figured out and then I'm no longer open and receptive. Um, but it's like, well, actually, it's it's like the the opposite of the state of mind that you're describing as as an ideal. The opposite of that is the cardinal sin. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I do think we should wrap up. OK. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm sick and tired. Yeah, and you promised me this in your short conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of this length was your fault. Okay. If you say so. Well, I'll let you go, okay. and uh, thanks everyone for listening.